Get him. Welcome, folks. Y'all come on in and make yourself at home. This here, well, this is the Rolling Thunder Podcast. Your home for all things Rolling Thunder. This episode is brought to you by Mossy Oak. Because everything is better in Bottomland. Kent Cartridge. Quality matters. Performance counts. Shen Gear. Waterfowl gear that is built better. And Benelli USA. Dominate the skies. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast. We are here in the lobby, storefront, living room, whatever you want to call it, myself, Spence, RT, and the duck dog vet, Matt Ryan himself, here to talk a little shop about Matt. And Wait a minute. You just blew right what? past my opportunity to you say, s- what's up, buddy? <laughs> I paused. Yeah. He, he, I he did gave pause. you everything he wanted you to do, and you did the opposite. I paused. <laughs> You're supposed to. You did my part. You're supposed to go, welcome to another episode of the Rolling Thunder Podcast, and then I'll go, What's up, buddy? Over I two. paused after I said it. You didn't say anything. <laughs> Unbelievable. I gave you a chance. I gave you your chance. I, I to opened the window. Matt. Oh, my gosh. What's up, buddy? Hey. Womp, 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 womp. Oh, man. Well, today's been a good day so far. I'm going to make small talk with myself. That's fine. Talk to Coy. <laughs> Yep, got a cup of coffee. It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Coy's exhausted. She's laid up on my lap, and uh, RT's got Leroy over there, Leroy lined out, and we've got our buddy. Uh, is it fair to say you're from Oxford, Matt? I mean, no. You can a bulldog fan can't claim uh, yeah, Oxford. I, I was trying to say, you know, our buddy <laughs> Matt Ryan from. He resides. I mean, like, what should I say from? My wife would uh, say it depends on what hunting season is in. Is okay, in. I like that answer. <laughs> Turkey season is Oxford. Duck season is Arkansas. Um, anything outside of that, she'd say Hopedale, Louisiana. <laughs> um, and then I just have an apartment that I, that I sleep in in Oxford. Is, is Hopedale originally home for you? No. So, originally... Um, I was actually born in Mobile, Alabama. Okay. Um, my dad was in the Coast Guard um, while my mom was starting her kind of military career on the Army Reserve side of things. Okay. Oh, well, National Guard, not Army Reserve. Uh, sorry about that. And about, I was two, three years old when we moved, first moved to Arkansas. Uh, okay. And we just kind of, as I was growing up, Every three to four years, we moved to a different town in Arkansas following my dad's career after he'd got out of the Coast Guard. And it just, that's why I said there's not one place I'm really from. What do Coast Guard guys do in Arkansas? So he, when he, we moved Arkansas to Arkansas, River, I guess. <laughs> when we moved to Arkansas, he had actually decided to get out of the Coast Guard. Okay. Um, because my mom's military career was just taking off a little bit faster than his. Okay. And so, um, 
I just grew up, I say I'm pseudo military brat to where yeah. even though I'm overall, she did 36 years total. Wow. We never had to play the, you know, move to a different state or country every three mm-hmm. or four years kind of game mm-hmm. just because she was national guard. And so, um, and that's actually where when I went to undergrad, my interest in the military first came from is that cause I grew up kind of around it. Um, I did ROTC and was part of that program at Arkansas state. Mm-hmm. And then from there I actually took a education delay um, and didn't go directly into it after I commissioned as a second lieutenant from from that program and went to vet school there at Mississippi State. Um, okay. I was there from 2012 to 2016. Um, and then I took off to Texas for about six months, lived down there doing all my initial training, and then mm-hmm. over to Alabama for four years um, there at Fort Rucker as the veterinarian for them. And when you and I met, it was what? Nine, ten, somewhere right about the time we started rolling thunder. Oh man! Because so, you were in college, right? Yep. And we um, we hunted Black River a few times around each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that we ever actually hunted together, did we? Mm-hmm. Nope. Um, so the way I learned about rolling thunder is actually I was Simakai there at Arkansas State. Okay. And I was sitting in the fraternity house one afternoon, and some random guy on Facebook named Kari Ball added me. He was like, <laughs> "Hey, just sit, where are you at right now?" I'm coming to you. You're blowing this duck call. And he just, he pulled up, Kari Ball jumped out of that 10 foot tall truck of his. And he said, here, blow this. And I've, at that time, it was a one ton white Ford <laughs> mm-hmm. Dooley. <laughs> he was laying tile at night for, yep. I can't remember who he was working for, but so y'all knew each other then. Mm-hmm. So we met um, huh. that first year that the Rolling Thunder kicked off and have known him ever since. Hunted a couple of times every year with, when he's not so busy running around like he is, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I didn't realize you knew Kari back then. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Oh yeah. Hmm. And so, so, um, kind of fast forward four years from army. Um, they, uh, really enjoyed the Hua side of things, but the political side, I just had trouble managing it. Um, so I, when Dr. Payne called and made me a job offer there at, animal clinic um it's just an opportunity that we couldn't pass up yeah because um, it's kind of that everybody talks about and thinks of kind of their dream clinic or dream job mm-hmm. um and that was an offer from that that dream position so we jumped on it and got out of the military at that point in time as a pretty big unexpected turn of events and have enjoyed it ever since so working and living in oxford um what's your day-to-day at the clinic like so you wear all mist colors to work every day? Like, oh, like, no. I totally feel like you probably wear a pale blue blazer <laughs> mm, with like a, a salmon colored <laughs> pair of pants and penny loafers. Slip on Cole Hawn shoes. Only on homecoming week. <laughs> <laughs> no, so day to day is kind of unexpected going in because even though we have our scheduled appointments, we do have a lot of just kind of walk in stuff mm-hmm. comes in. Just because we, and we, a lot of clinics are getting to the point where they prefer scheduled appointments mm-hmm. only, um, but we also know that, you know, not, things don't happen on a scheduled right. basis. That's right. And so we, we try to keep as much open as we possibly can for, for clinic, for clients to come in to the clinic. And so, I mean, I'll use tomorrow as an example. Um, I know tomorrow morning I have a, I'm going to start the day with what's called a TPLO. So I'm going to go in and re- repair a, a fractured or a, a torn ACL. Um, follow that. I've got a big cancer master move and a dental cleaning after that. And so, and then we're going to go 
do puppy and kitten shots in the af- early afternoon. Awesome. So we're going from Man. variety from so orthopedic surgeon to soft yeah. tissue surgeon to dentist to you know so pediatric dang. care. All right, so so you're you're a general practice vet. Yep, you've not you're not board certified in a, in any subspecialty. Correct. No, I'm not. Okay. Um, I know you're good at that stuff, but I and I so I, I didn't mean to draw that line as if to you know diminish your skill set, but you you've gotten training in the TPLO procedure mm-hmm. because that's a very specialized procedure. Yep. Um, yeah, and I was when I was going through school, um, the surgery kind of things always piqued my interest a little bit more, mm-hmm. but I also knew that going to an internship and four years of residency just also mm-hmm. wasn't my gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and in and in veterinary medicine, it's not necessarily, it's not the model that, I mean, most private practice guys, like it is in human medicine, yep. you know, everybody yep. in human medicine specializes, almost nobody in veterinary medicine mm-hmm. these days specializes. Yep. But what, in conjunction with that, what veterinarians have the ability to do as compared to the human side of things is we may not have gone through the residencies to be so um, kind of board certified, mm-hmm. but we can go in and do these courses and classes and additional studies um, and just have what I like to call special interests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's exactly right. And, the, and even though you may not have gone through the surgery residencies, you're still doing these higher end top surgeries. You're specializing in the sense of the adjective use of the word, <laughs> not in the sense of the licensed or, or bird certification. Yep. The way it, in, in human medicine to be referred to. Did you go to the like a wet lab in Vegas? Is that where you learned or where did you go to? So I had a really good um, clinical professor and just clinician there at Mississippi State while we were there um, who actually has a, a practice up in Memphis now um, that I watched real closely and did several with. Um, kind of just kept up with the uh, day-to-day information and what was the new info that was coming out. And then once we got back to Oxford after the military was done. Um, actually went to a, um, at the time, they were VOI, so veterinary orthopedic implants. Mm-hmm. They put on a, a wet lab course there at Colorado State. Okay. Um, so I went up there for, for all of that and have been rocking and rolling ever since. So um, your general practice, you've got kind of a special interest in surgery, mm-hmm. but Dr. Payne's real kind of calling card in the, or, or what he's known for is AI, right? Yep. Artificial insemination? Yep. Well, it's got- not just artificial insemination. It's going to be kind of all things canine breeding. Okay. Um, is, I guess a good way to say it. What's the fancy word for that? Theriology? Or- Theriogenology. Theriogenology, yeah. yeah. Yep. I like so he's a canine OBGYN. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's like dog breeding. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right? Mm. But, we'll I mean, Lee's, Lee's, that practice has been well known for that for a long time right i mean if yep. you wanted to if you wanted to breed a female to a male dog that's you know long since gone y'all have got straws of semen from gobs of different yeah we've right and we've got straws of semen from <laughs> um quite a few dogs that have passed away and some big time dogs only have four or five breedings left we've got a couple of them there so i mean i'm i'm i know i'm saying that wrong like a redneck but y'all really do have a catalog of 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 yeah, we kind of got a rolodex people, of people store, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, just a rolodex you can interesting huh? wheel <laughs> through and pick one out and, and go from there. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, and so that's yeah. kind of my long term twenty year plan is 
And what I like to explain to people is not that I have an interest in orthopedics, for example, or something specific with medicine or breeding, is I have a specific uh, special interest in working dogs. Uh, okay. Just because it's kind of how I was raised, being from Arkansas, mm-hmm. kind of what I, to better answer your question from earlier, kind of tell people where I'm from. Yeah. Um, and where I just want to eventually work into the breeding stuff as Dr. Payne um, kind of nears retirement, continue building the orthopedic side of the practice. Um, within the next couple of years, I want to bring in a real heavy um, kind of rehab sports medicine aspect to it where, where a lot of these soft tissue injuries um, and even orthopedic injuries and post-surgery type mm-hmm. stuff, we can um, rehab a little bit um, more in depth than kind of traditional yep. vet Very rehab cool. is and just build it from there. So. What's your uh, what's your favorite thing to do that you do in the clinic, whether it be scheduled or walk in or dog breeding? As Spencer so eloquently put it, <laughs> I think he said gobs. I think gobs. is what he said. Yes, <laughs> gobs. Did I say that? Did I mean dogs? And I said gobs. <laughs> no, you said gobs of straws. And I was. Oh, 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 oh! oh, oh I just oh, had a oh, tough oh. time moving past that. Oh, one. were you? <laughs> yeah, you can see it on their face. They were holding it back pretty heavy. Um, and so, so when what's you're your looking, favorite thing and why is it a artificial insemination? <laughs> <laughs> and so AI uh, is kind of, in, it's pretty interesting and fun, but my, honestly, my favorite thing is the orthopedic side of it. Um, when I was a little kid, I originally wanted to kind of be an engineer of sorts. I always played with Legos and all the connector kits and wanted to build stuff. But also going to my grandma and grandpa's house growing up, we did a lot of puzzles instead of watching TV. Um, And when you look at a fractured leg or a a blown knee in my head, it's kind of that engineering puzzle you can put back together. Man. Mm -hmm. So that's cool. cool. But on the other side of it, I didn't like any of that stuff. (laughs) So interesting how people's brains work. Yeah. I would never think of a broken leg as a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But it makes sense that you think of it that way. I'm glad you think of it that way. (laughs) If anybody needs to think of it that way, it's Matt Ryan, duck dog vet. But, um, and so when that's on the actual, like being a vet side of things, yeah. um, yeah. and this, the, my favorite thing about vet med and where my interest in veterinary medicine actually came from is the client education piece. Um, growing up kind of the old school veterinarian, there was, they had one vet running what should have been a three or four doctor practice. Yep. And they didn't have time to spend with people mm-hmm. to explain what was going on and why this is important. It was just, hey, come in, here you are, go out. Um, and because of my thought process and how I wanted to understand things, I wanted to know the why behind it. And so I went through so many of those visits, going to the vet clinic with my mom and dad, of like never getting that why. Eventually, um, I said, I want to know the why behind all of it. Yeah. Um, and while I was in high school, believe it or not, I didn't want to go to college. I wanted to get out, do 20 years in the military, and at 38 years old, retire with a 20-year retirement and just duck hunt and deer hunt every day. Um, then my senior year is when that hit. I said, okay, let's change things up. Let's go to vet school and kind of go, go on from there. Yeah. And so, and that's actually my biggest downfall in the clinic is that I get caught in the client education piece so heavy that I waste way too much time. Yeah. Just by yeah. talking and Trent, like, Can I translate that? And, so that means you like to talk to people about stuff. Oh, I could talk the walls <laughs> off the side of that building. <laughs> That's hilarious. I did not know this. Yep. So along those lines, what are some things, since you like working dogs, and 
by working dogs, I'm just assuming you're not like treating a whole bunch of cattle herd and you know Catahoulas mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, we're talking about labs mostly. But so we have um, initially when Dr. Payne started building the working dog aspect, quote unquote, of our clinic and bringing them in is when he was running all the hunt tests out again. Um, real heavy. He had several um, grand champions. He trained himself and put and put titles on himself. Okay. Um, and so that's where initially it started at was with a lot of labs. Okay. Um, but now we actually have a real heavy um, show, um, kind of show-based clientele. We actually have, we have several that have, Competed at Westminster, won Westminster. Uh, we've got a lot. Uh, we've got several um, cattle working dogs and police um, top dogs. Did y'all know I'm one of the leading scorers in Westminster history. Did you? Yeah, I am. Really? Yeah. Not not the Westminster dog thing, but Westminster oh, okay. High School and Westminster Christian. Academy. Oh, I think I, I am the all time leading scorer. Pretty sure. How many kids were in your graduating class? Six. Seven, seven, mm. six boys, one girl. Wow, that mm. poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to just derail. I just, I'm just trying to figure out what sport you're the leading scorer in. Basketball. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's gonna be like basketball or jenga. We didn't or have. What we were playing. We Dang. didn't have football, and we didn't have soccer. Only had basketball. Mm-hmm. Since it was such a small school, they played on a nine foot goal. So. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty. I don't even. That's I'm a pretty good shot from a guy who couldn't get the intro to his own job right. Yeah, thanks, RT. <laughs> what you got to say about that? Uh, it's Matt. Squid. We're interviewing Matt. <laughs> Today's about Matt. Today's yeah. about Matt. No. So where I was going Enough with this, about my the, episode was last week. This is the, Matt. The client education piece is, uh, you know, what are things that when you talk to a duck hunter in the exam room with his duck dog, like what are the things that you wish you could get across to all of them you know that you don't ever have time to or it's like the things that you you know mm-hmm. that i don't know that you like to front end you know yeah. front end load into the conversations like all right we could actually accomplish some things here if you knew these things yep. you know and so i'm going to approach this as a instead of specific topic um kind of short form kind of let's start from puppyhood and then work through that first year and then get into some adult maintenance kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and so puppy shots starting six to eight weeks. Um, I prefer every three weeks until 16 weeks of age. Um, it's past kind of the old school require and kind of recommendation of 12 weeks, but we have so much part, specifically parvovirus and just here in the South yep. that I love to play the safe game. Um, Cause I, you know, it, I've seen it a couple of times where, when you're looking at the working dog clients, they just spent $3,500 on a puppy and mm-hmm. things don't end up too well because we're, we missed a set of shots right. because we were doing X, Y, and Z. Um, mm-hmm. And so every three weeks being real stringent and strict on not missing those visits. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time frame, um, getting some heartworm prevention and flea and tick prevention started and staying on those year round. Um, Do y'all see as much heartworm activity in Oxford as we see in Memphis? Yes, but... I think due to, I'm going to say new products. I won't say better products, but just new products, mm-hmm. as well as um, as a whole veterinarian is getting better at the educational mm-hmm. piece with heartworm specifically, that it is starting to be controlled a little bit better. Yeah. And so, um, but keeping them on heartworm prevention year-round, um, with, with some of the flea and tick issues we see, um, even keeping them on flea and tick meds year-round. Um, and just because we're in 
redneck Mississippi, people look at me like, what? Why do you want tick prevention yeah. in the middle of January? I'm like, well, you know, I shot a deer last week and it was yep. covered in ticks, mm-hmm. yeah. which means that your dogs are getting exposed still to also. Yep. And so, um, and so hitting those vaccine appointments every three weeks until 16 weeks of age. Um, during that first several visits, um, what I typically look at. Um, Y'all hear that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sounds I like good. Sorry. I know. Sounds pretty I like good. It. Um, that's why it's been I a busy day around here. We've got turkey calls <laughs> going out the back door and got a new duck call that's gotten cut earlier. And mm-hmm. We're working. Riles is back yeah. there. They're working. <laughs> I like it. It had some good we're, flair to conversation. We're, we're busting Squints' chops. <laughs> Sorry. Client education. That's right. Client <laughs> that's education. It. That's where we're at. <laughs> we're um, going to all have an exam fee when this is over. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have um, typically have conversation about what heartworm preventions I like mm-hmm. to use. What's your uh, what's your heartworm prevention of choice? What I use in my personal pets um, is ProHeart um, injections. It doesn't matter if it's ProHeart 6 or ProHeart 12. That's what I use my personal pets, though. How old? What What's the age where they can start administering those? And so, company recommendations is six months of age. Okay. Um, I will say that because we're finishing our sh- vaccine protocols at earliest four months of age, that I will go ahead and give them. Um, cool. I haven't had any issues or side effects off of it, giving them that, that early. And the reason I like that is because – in one reason I love it myself is because we're busy at work. We're mm-hmm. busy at the office. We're busy, you know, here. And you get home, you start talking to you know, friends or girlfriends, fiancés, wives. I mean, and you just forget. Yeah. Um, you, and because I was – and when you forget, you have that four- to five-day break in your Laps. coverage and mm-hmm. that lapse, and that's when you become positive. And so um, that's why I like the pro-heart injections. And then there is a flea and tick preventive called Semperica. Um, that I use for my flea and tick. Is that spelled with a Y? I'm taking notes over here. Uh, hold on, let me, let me type it out so I can make sure I spell it right. I don't, I don't spell stuff good in my head. So, S I M S I M. All right. Yep. P A R I C A. All right. And so that's what I use for flea and tick. Um, there's also Nexgard and Brevecto that work pretty good. Mm. Um, I will say that if you're on Brevecto in the south, I like to give it every two months as compared to every three months because there's a little asterisk um, that it only, um, I'm pretty sure it's the Lone Star Tick that it only covers prevention for eight weeks instead of the 12 weeks that, for the rest of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, if owners, but I will say that's one of the more pricey options but like but it's with the pro heart it's built-in convenience and built-in um just can't forget it yeah safety kind of kind of stuff six and twelve i'm assuming that's six months in a year yep right yep um cool. yeah that is awesome not yeah. having to remember that you know monthly or and the bi-monthly the, yeah the great part is that since it's not something that you're given at the house mm-hmm. the practice can remind you you know, mm-hmm. so yeah. you get an email, you get yep. a text message, you get a postcard in the mail, whatever, however your practice does or your local, you know, vet does reminders. And that, I know, when I, when I was working at the clinic, we saw a significant increase in client compliance when we were responsible for reminding them, you know, and then, of course, with heartworms, if you're compliant with your, you know, standard of, you know, whatever the you know product guarantees yeah getting your getting your product on time like mm-hmm. then your dog doesn't get heartworms like all mm-hmm. the heartworm cases we saw were like oh you know i guess i missed it last month or you know yeah. i don't remember when i gave it and trying to remember to give that little chewable thing on the same day every month i mean 
Yep. That's for well, and a little birds. side note mm-hmm. with that is if you can show where you've purchased it and to cover, mm. you know, every year and you mm-hmm. got your yearly test. Um, and there's some other things in there that if you haven't been on it for a certain amount of time or missed mm-hmm. stuff, you may have to do an extra test. But there's product guarantees to where mm-hmm. if you're if your dogs, no matter what dog you are, um, well, if you're a working dog or just a house pet, they'll the companies, if you're a breakthrough case, quote unquote, they'll cover 100% in most of those cases, the, the cost of treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and so awesome. it's just a, it's a real, I'm going to say cheap insurance policy mm-hmm. yeah. kind of way to look at it. So, but like I said, that's one of the more expensive routes um, with that combination because of the convenience of it. Mm-hmm. And so this is where it can get kind of tricky. Uh, my second favorite product is one called Simperica Trio. Um, and it's that, that Trio word where it covers, it's all in one tablet. Um, most clinics, it's one of the better financial options of it on things. But my the comparison and the thing that's common between them, and this is what was in the old Advantage Multi that everybody used to use all the time, that the topical that covered all of it was... Um, is the moxidectin um, kind of drug. And there's the numbers are showing that moxidectin works a little bit better than the ivermectin preventatives. Mm-hmm. Um, their ivermectin still works really well. It's still upper 90 percentile on effectiveness. But when you're looking at in the southeast and how much the number of heartworm cases we see, mm-hmm. every percentage point can matter. Um, so, but yeah. What so about, just, what, can I change topics? What yeah. about food? I mean, I'm, are you a fancy from blue rhino whatever the i don't know what all the names are but like are you yep. a are you a fancy food guy or are you a where it's do you stand on food oh roy <laughs> and so the the way i like to explain it um i tell every single client this is up front me personally i'm a purina pro plan fan mm. um they i think it's a high quality food that they put a lot of research and effort into um and i've I've been very pleased with it from with my working dogs. I've been on it since in, since I was in high school, and I graduated in 08 from Batesville High. Um, I will say that I have tried multiple other brands. Um, I've been happy with some of them, not too happy with others, um, but I always come back to ProPlan. My dad has been a ProPlan, like a Purina 1 fan mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember. Yep. I mean, that's what he's told everybody to, to feed. And- yep. I don't mean and, to just like constantly compare you to my dad, but I mean, well, I mean when it's kind of it's your dad, and we're to. both vets. It's what you know. <laughs> so far, everything you said lines right up with exactly what he would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, he loves Pro Heart, and yeah, we'll, we'll see and, how the rest of this conversation goes. That's right. The realistic, <laughs> we're checking of, off the boxes. <laughs> the realistic side of food, though, is that the brand really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What's going to matter is the ingredient combination. Mm-hmm. Um, just like in people. You know, some people can eat cheese. Some people can't because of lactose intolerance. Mm-hmm. Um, different dogs can be, their GI tracts can be more sensitive to um, certain ingredients. Um, <laughs> sorry, certain ingredients that can cause some gastric inflammation and gassiness and some skin issues yeah. in relation to that. And yeah. so, um, as long as we can. gassy issues in the <laughs> yeah. tune-in room the last few days. You know, here at the end of duck season. Maybe they should try some pro plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should see about getting everybody here on the honey buns and coffee you're finally making their way down. Catching up. <laughs> I wanna change the subject again. Yeah. I wanna I wanna hear a couple of not necessarily horror stories, but like Spence said, what you tell people when they come in that almost like gets them on the right track. Mm-hmm. What is something somebody has come in with their dog or their pet and told you that you're like 
No, 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 no. Yeah. Like not that. So I'll make that transition. It's really good. So, yeah. Because we're talking about food already is unless the dog is justified, they need it to avoid grain free foods. Um, UC Davis made a, a connection between um, an increased risk of heart disease. So dilated cardiomyopathy um, in relation to grain free foods and some of these boutique diets. Yeah. And so, um, like I said, it, it can take some time for them to justify it. Um, needing it but to start out avoid grain freeze Mm -hmm. so um the absolute worst when looking at food that i've ever heard was the guy was every morning he would drink his coffee and eat a donut and his dog got two donuts every single morning (laughs) dog was having awful skin allergies because of it he just looked at me he said nope i'm not going to quit giving donuts (laughs) and so oh my gosh i just laughed i said that's that's y'all's thing and you enjoy it so do you have any of the like uh, there's a there's a book and it's um, kind of in the style of the old James Harriet books. Mm-hmm. It's a Alabama country vet and he has all these like country like old fashioned uh, you know home cures. Have you had any home cures come in for like like I don't know. I'm Leroy is an itchy boy, so I put coconut oil in his food because something I saw on Google and it okay. seems to be helping him out a little bit. Does he smell like up. suntan lotion? <laughs> like pina colada. <laughs> Smells like Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I can't really pull any out that I no. think of. There was a, it wasn't me. It happened in the clinic prior to me getting there. Um, I wish I could remember what they used or what they found. Yeah. But they'd found some kind of home remedy to treat cancer, and they started on it. And it went away. What? And I wish I could remember what Man, it was. I, a, I just knew there'd be like some yeah. backwoods, like turpentine, I, corn cob. <laughs> Our principal, when I was in high school, no lie, got some kind of cancer. And he he was like against chemo and radiation. Mm-hmm. And he ate cabbage and carrots all day, every day out of a giant tub to the point that the carotene turned his skin orange. And all that cancer went in remission. <laughs> oh, my Jeez. gosh. Yeah. Oh, crazy. It is that unreal. Is it's wild. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about again? I don't Food remember. allergies? A little bit all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Let's see where we're at. Um, Doctor told me yesterday I was allergic to food. <laughs> well, I guess we'll take it this way because you mentioned... Uh, <laughs> he uh, did. You're allergic to yeah. food? Yeah. You're just not allowed to eat anymore? He asked me how I felt about my weight. I was like... <laughs> I looked at him as a grown man. I was like, what do you mean, how do I feel about my weight? I think I'm fat. And he was like... <laughs> Okay, all right. So that's one option. I'm like, would you prefer? If you think I need to lose weight, just tell me how much I need to lose. Don't ask me how much I feel. I mean, I feel my weight. Like, that's funny. It's Um, like asking me how I feel about my beard. Wish it was a little thicker and fuller, but you know, I I get that. (laughs) Yeah. Also, wish I was about four inches taller, and (laughs) wish I was a baller. Sorry. (laughs) All right, back to you, Doc. Um, food supplements. Oh. Um, kind of talking about home remedy things you can do. Um, one the what I really like to give as a supplement is if you're feeding a good food, I really don't think you have to supplement much because what that dog needs is already in there. But a couple things that I'm a huge supporter of is prebiotics and probiotics. Um, once again, just supporting a healthier GI tract. Um, I'm a huge supporter of fish oil. Um, the omega threes, omega sixes in it. Um, not only help our older um, older dogs with their joints and everything a little bit, but there's been some, and there's only been, when I say some, there's, there's one if not two is all there is, 
um, studies in sled dogs showing that omega-3s from the fish oil and omega-6s from the fish oil in puppies can actually increase their ocular and mental development um, so they can see better and think and problem solve and think better. So, Leroy, That's let's right. have some more. We need to work on problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say in terms of, from a hunting dog standpoint, something that you see common, maybe not, that is preventable? Joint issues, 100%. Um, I preach every time I have the opportunity to help that dog in and out of the truck when you have, when you can. I'm not saying go out of your way and kick yourself until you're down if you miss helping them out of the truck once because they got out of the box too fast. But if you're sitting there next to the, the tailgate, you know, and instead of allowing them to jump off of it and catch all their weight on those front elbows and those mm-hmm. front shoulders, just help them off. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, heard, I've heard that. Yep. Um, especially in these puppies that are under a year while those growth plates are still a cartilaginous um, structure. If you can help control that inflammation in those, in those joints, it's just going to help them develop better and be healthier in the long run. Um, and even going into adulthood, um, you know, continue to help them while you can because they're already going to beat on these joints pretty heavy anyways. Yeah. And so if we can, if we can help them every bit, they're just going to work that much longer for us. I'm sorry, Coy. <laughs> Been letting you jump out onto the asphalt every day. <laughs> Well, I mean, and I do it myself. Like, we got here, and I let my two out just to let them get out of the box. And, I mean, the puppy I helped down, but Dahlia, she came out too fast, and I missed her. I was like, well, yeah. there you go. You, you helped them back it. in, though. Yeah, we made it for it. We're starting a, a new street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard that, too. I, how many days? When I can catch him, I, I help old Leroy down, but I, I have not made a habit of helping him up. I'll have to try to think about that. What mm-hmm. are some of the ways that you see – I know you're you're really active in – like the dog training world and the dog mm-hmm. games and all that kind of stuff. What are some of the things that you see that handlers or other duck hunters are doing that they could improve on just like making smart decisions about their dog? You, you know what I'm saying? Like what, what are some of the mistakes you see people may, making that they could do better on? Um, I guess when you're looking at things we can prevent, um, stop picking silver labs stop <laughs> mm-hmm. i won't get into all that lip lip <laughs> but um i'm gonna say just controlling their weight better especially in the off hmm. season don't let them just lay on the couch because it's hot outside and get fat and overweight before mm-hmm. you go into dove season um just because once again that's just because when they're overweight they're gonna wear in their joints more mm-hmm. but also when we pull them out and we want to get ready for dove season in september august time frame um, they're not going to handle that heat well, and we're going to really risk um, overheating and kind of heat stroke type injuries. Yeah. Um, so as long as we can keep them in a, in a better and healthy weight range, I think that's the biggest thing and mistake that we make. While we're talking about dogs and temperatures, um, go on the opposite side of the spectrum mm-hmm. and talk about talk about you know cold temps and how to ha- how to keep your dog handling those well. Well, and they can handle some really cold temperatures safely if we set them up once again for success um you know allow them to be exposed you know if it's cold enough put a vest on them if, if you were hunting in a safe area to put a vest on them um if you're in a blind or you're in, whether if you're in public timber you know having a little buddy here there's putting some heat on them while they're while they're up out of the water and keeping them up out of the water um i'm actually managing a foot right now that i'm pretty sure and it's not a working dog it's just a a, a pet um at somebody's house that i'm pretty sure his in the situation is because of frostbite um, from that that, wow. that old that cold 
um, kind of surge that came through. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking and, of feet, I always heard that their feet are very critical in terms of getting warm and staying dry. Like, is that is that true? So for heat management, yes. Um, That's what I mean. Like on a super cold day, like standing in an inch of water mm-hmm. is a terrible idea, right? Is that is that true? Well, I mean, you want to keep them as dry as possible, not only because um, it just it's cold, so it's gonna drop their core temperature. But what it is is there's so much blood pumping to those feet, and it's it's as it's going through a cold environment, it's gonna cool it off even faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're taking cooler blood back to their core, it's gonna mm-hmm. drop their core temperature mm-hmm. even quicker. And so you want to try to keep them out of the water yep. fully. Yep. And so that's where I was kind of going with the frostbite type stuff yeah. is that, you know, a lot of dogs will sit there with their tail in the water or their foot in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to keep every bit of them as you can. Well, if it's put them in a blind or just raise their dog stand up the tree an extra foot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just to keep them as dry as possible. But when you do that, of course, we're up in the wind. So you, especially if you're not in blind, you know, having an old coat or something you can um, put over them just to keep them out of the wind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Do you remember when I tech, when I messaged you on Instagram about yeah. what what I should do with Leroy? Yeah. So I ended up hunting that that Friday before Christmas, mm-hmm. and the the temperature was minus thirty. Yeah, that was that crazy cold day. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And we, we had you know ice so thick you could walk on it. I mean, it was it was wild. I hunted with a good buddy of mine in West Kentucky, but I was messaging Matt because I wasn't sure what I was going to do with Leroy. And thankfully, my buddies hunt kind of the West Tennessee style where they have the big blind, they have the back room. So I brought him in with us and he hunted with us all morning and uh, I had him on a couch back there <laughs> in front of like a propane uh, tank with the cap heater in mm. like a shin jacket. So he yep. was he was good. Yeah. He was pampered. A couple of weeks ago, I hunted at North Delta with mm. Reinhardt and Brandon Martin and that whole crew. And I thought it was awesome. They had, so the way their blinds were set up, you know, they had all their hunters shooting out of a basically like a, a hole that looked like a like a hula hoop more mm-hmm. or less okay well then they had the guide standing outside of the blind on a platform but just kind of below and beside the hunters and then right beside that they had an elevated platform for the dog so the dog was really almost at eye level of the guide and i hunted koi so we're standing basically you know she's at shoulder height to me which was awesome because there was no wondering about where she was relative to my gun. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't shooting over the top of her. Mm-hmm. I was, she was to my right by about three feet, but mm-hmm. there was no, it was no danger. You know what I mean? All right. I'm, I'm telling a long story to say that they had a, the reason they had the dog elevated was they had a box underneath it and they had a little buddy heater <laughs> that they could turn on Heck yeah. and heat so rises. Huh. That's awesome. And so, I mean, she it it did two things. One, it warmed her up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't overly cold, but it also made her like that spot. Like it was a box, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she was hid from above, but she could see out the front. And so it was kind of like you know, how, like a like a, a dog blind in a dry yeah. field. Like no mm-hmm. dog wants to be all the way in the back of that dog blind. They're yeah. always creeping out and getting there. Well, when the back of that box was warm, <laughs> yeah, she wanted to be in the back of it. Yeah, and I was like, I told him later, I was like, this is freaking Genius. brilliant. So that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Drilled some holes in it so that the water drained through, mm-hmm. you know, and and even they had great foamed the the you know the edges so that it was really sealed up yep. but all that heat was rising kept <laughs> me warm my yeah, feet that. were warm and she was warm <laughs> I was like this is that's this, awesome this is awesome yeah so talk to us a little bit about traveling with a dog uh, whether it be going from here to Arkansas you know can't wherever you're going even if it's a couple miles down the road to the ramp I've seen people ride them in the back seat there's a bunch of different kennel brands out there now you know from a 
vet's perspective, what what would be the ideal way? And so the way I look at it is that we're willing to spend fifteen thousand dollars on a duck boat or you know, five to fifteen thousand dollars on a duck camp, two thousand dollars on a duck on a on a gun and thousand dollar pair of waders and all this kind of stuff. Um, $175 duck call. That's right. <laughs> Plus <laughs> tax. Um, but then you hear people talk about, you know, just running that the $50 plastic kennel mm-hmm. from Walmart. And if that's what you can afford, that's what you need to get. Um, but I think a, and the best thing you can do for your dog is um, put them in the safest kennel you can afford. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big part of it. Don't go above your means just because of it and put yourself in a, a tough situation. Um, me personally, use your I, wife's credit card. That, that's right. That, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Find yourself. Don't yeah. put your sugar mama. Yeah. yeah. Uh, don't put yourself in a bad situation, but also don't put your dog at risk. I mean, and so, um, having a, a kennel that is sturdy and strong is the best way to say it is what I like to do. Um, yeah. especially because it's, we have a lot invested in these dogs, mm-hmm. um, that can be, we can really save them and rescue their life if we're in a, a car wreck, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if um, y'all saw it. I think it was yesterday. Um, Gunner put out like their Road Warriors video. Yeah, Bullet. Yep. That's our buddy. That's yeah, Adam's Spencer. buddy, Spencer. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's a crazy story. Yeah. And that's a perfect example of why. As people always ask, you know, why would I want to spend that amount of money? It's, yeah. But the why is because you never know when you're going to be or yep. your dog is the next bullet. Yeah. Um, and those those kind of kennels, whether if it's Lucky Duck or Rufflin or Gunner, um, they're going to protect your dog just a little bit better than the plastic pet safe one from, from Walmart is. Just being honest, um, but it in conjunction with the um, you know having a, a good sturdy strong kennel um, that is strapped down and can't go launching two hundred yards down when you are in a wreck um, is. Um, like I said, strapping it in that way, if you are in a yeah. wreck, they can't go, you know, getting, getting launched out of the truck. Um, you have to thumb the, you know, when the ratchet strap, when you get it mm-hmm, real tight, you have mm-hmm. to thumb it and go, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but also making sure they're not in one that's too big. Um, so the kennel that I have at the house is a lot bigger than ones I have in my truck. Um, the best way to explain when they are traveling is you want them even. Uh, sorry, I lost my words. Um, you want them to be able to touch three sides at the same time. Um, and so okay. their feet touching the door, you know, touching the right, the left side and the wall, mm-hmm. um, the back wall of it. Um, because if there's too much room in the kennel, they can get injured That's just like right. if they, and b- from bouncing around mm-hmm. with all of it. Okay. So. You know, I, I grew up kind of, I shouldn't say I grew up. This is not about growing up. I, I was forever kind of in the camp of, you know, I like, I let my dog sleep in bed. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I let my dog ride in the truck. And really what got me about the kennel thing was the, one of those stories I think that Gunner did was about the, the danger of the dog in the cab with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one, like we're, we're talking about this, like it's for the dog's safety, but, but quite honestly, like a dog in the cab of the truck in a car wreck, is more dangerous to you. You could be wearing your seatbelt, and that dog hits you. You know, it's propelled into you. That's that's dangerous for for you or your kids or you know your buddy or. Um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, and 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 so the, I don't know that that smaller kennel. T- the other thing too, I've noticed with the 
like you said, not having an overly huge kennel for Koi, especially like she, she doesn't relax well until she's in that kennel. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like the off switch, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think if it was a, a great big kennel, you know, that she could do jumping jacks in, it wouldn't have the same effect. It wouldn't mm-hmm. force her to rest. I don't know. Is Leroy like that? He doesn't really rest. <laughs> he's he's over there snoring. He's eight months old. Not in the kennel. He's eight months old. He uh he likes to go. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't know. I keep him in an intermediate one and where he can, you know, it's big yeah. enough, but not too big. So, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's what I got in the back of my truck. I've got intermediates that are in, there in the back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but also with traveling, um, you know, putting together some kind of little just first aid kit. Yeah. Yeah. Really, most of them you can, um, most circumstances, is just get a good human first aid kit and just add a couple pieces here and there. Um, I know, oh, who was it? I found on the way over here. Um, Retriever Training Supply actually has what looks like um, a pretty good, like, canine-specific first aid kit. Mm-hmm. comes in this little, like, Pelican-type case. Um, just kind of keep everything situated with some good little, like, instruction pamphlets and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. But it's kind of expensive also. So, Yeah, but, but it's one of those things you could buy once and add to. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know what I just thought about? And I'm not the vet, so I'm not going to, like, give vet advice, but but you were talking, I was reading, you know, some of the notes that you wrote down about the things you should have in the first aid kit. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me how many things happen, like in Arkansas, for example, where we're all, well, a lot of us are hunting and how few vets there are between Little Rock and Memphis. Oh, there's like none. And, and I mean, I can, I know for a fact, you know, Jimbo's dog tank passed mm-hmm. because he couldn't get to the vet quick enough. And, yep. and in addition to all these great things to have in the first aid kit it's probably worth knowing where a vet clinic is that can see you on off hours or you know on weekends things mm-hmm. like that because like quite frankly you're not going to get seen by a vet in stuttgart no you might in jonesboro these days i don't know but mm-hmm. but well they, most of us don't hunt in the middle of town <laughs> yeah well <laughs> unfortunately um actually there there is a a 24-hour emergency clinic in Jonesboro now. Okay. Um, there's um, a, a dog that we kind of see here and there. I've watched him run some, or yeah, I watched him run some hunt tests. Kind of got in a, a sticky situation there for a little bit, and he ended up over there. Um, they, they called me and talked to him about it. I was like, yeah, you, instead of just let me look at it in the back room of the duck camp, you better just go ahead and go to the emergency clinic. Mm-hmm. It sounds like one of those situations. They yeah. went over there and kind of progressed through the stages of where he ended up at Auburn actually. Yeah. That dog did. But um sometimes time though is Oh 100%. percent mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well and kind of to kind of caveat off that where time's in essence, um one of the the like very emergent issues that comes up with with these working dogs a lot um just with how these these, they're built is a a process called gastric dilatation of ovulus so gdv Mm. um commonly you hear it called a dog's bloated or their stomach is flipped Mm -hmm. um and realistically you have within four to six hours not only get that dog to the vet clinic but they really have surgery have completed Mm -hmm. and have that stomach corrected um Kind of the two things that scary thing, man. Oh, 100% is. Um, the two things that happen with that is that the stomach 
fills with air and gas and the stomach also flips. Um, they can't research us, try to look at it. And they can't figure out which one occurs first. And they're, um, but they do know that when that happens, um, kind of imagine the blood vessels as well as the stomach as a water hose and it's kinked off. Um, and when those blood vessels get kinked off, there's just a bunch of endotoxins that build up. Um, and it's those endotoxins that will eventually cause the dog to so pass. What are the, what can you do to avoid that? Number one. And number mm-hmm. two, what are the symptoms or signs that that's happening to a dog? Yep. And so signs and symptoms, um, there's really not many. Um, you'll see the, when you go out, kind of look like it, you know, if it's a leaner built barking dog and all of a sudden they look like they put on 20 pounds and they're then just literally been bellied bloated. up to mm. an all you can eat buffet and their stomach is bloated. You're like, Oh, that looks kind of weird. Um, and then because that stomach is kinked off, um, when they go to vomit, they can't get anything out. So they, dr- they start dry heaving real heavily. Hmm. Um, they'll hyper salivate. Um, and then they will, um, also get fairly tender when you start palpating and kind of messing with their stomach and their abdomen. Um, and it's one of these situations where everybody's like, every, a lot of people are worried about, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to catch it. Yeah. Um, this last, since I've been at, 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 there in Oxford, rough estimate, um, emergency wise, I've cut, um, probably 18 to 20 of them the last two years. Really? Oh, hundred percent. People see it happening, come mm-hmm. in, you're like, yep, that's happening. And you, you go into an emergency mm-hmm. surgery and. Yep. Wow. But, but on the phone, when they call, um, they'll, they'll start with, Hey, I think my dog's stomach has flipped. Yeah. And that's these college students that don't know, you know, what they're doing the next day in class. They're like, oh, this kind of looks like what's, what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's kind of evident and one, especially if you know what kind of what the clinical signs are and hearing them kind of, kind of how rapidly needed to occur. Um, when you're looking at prevention for it, there is a long list of things you can do, such as feed on the ground, feed from elevated bowl once a day, twice a day, add water, do this, do that. Um, how much wait, do you feed elevate from the ground or wait, I was, sorry, you said feed from the ground and then you said feed. Yeah, and so bowl. that's where a lot of those kind of at-home prevention type deals uh-huh. um, over these last several years have actually been debunked to where it, it really doesn't change. Huh. Um, they have seen that dogs fed once a day tend to be a little bit higher um, occurrence in it. Um, Is that because they eat a larger volume? I think so. food. Yeah, I think it's the kind of that larger volume, that weight just causes mm-hmm. that. At least this is my conspiracy theory behind it. Um, it just kind of gets that stomach swinging, um, or if they're just doing dog things and playing I, and on their back, that weight just causes it to roll. Yeah. How long does it take them to digest, you know, a, a, a normal amount of food? Like, I guess what I'm getting at is, should I feed before I hunt in the morning, or should I wait until after and they're going to lay around? Like, how mm-hmm. much, you know – all, all I can hear in my head is, you know, the lifeguard saying, you just ate a hot dog. You got to sit for 30 <laughs> minutes before you get in the pool to swim. Um, I'm a fan of feeding after the hunt. Okay. Um, I don't change their feeding schedules just because I hunt. Um, I do give, especially if she's worked, Dolly's worked pretty heavy that morning. Um, I'll give her a little bit of a small snack um, when we get back just to kind of replenish some of those sugar losses um, and those calories. But um, Me and I, Dolly have a lot in common. <laughs> Um, but I, I just, I don't feed before, before a hunt. Um, I've never been able to find the research on it, but I've been told that when you feed before a hunt, it can cause them not to handle the temperatures as well. Cause it's shifting huh. blood back to their core. Mm-hmm. And 
I said, I've never found any research it, on it. That's just I, what I I've been told. I can tell you anecdotally, when you got to pee, mm-hmm. you freeze to death. You ever notice that? <laughs> Amen. You zip those shin gear waders and let it rip, and you're immediately warm back up. Yeah. Hmm. So, I, I, can, I that? can confirm Science. that. Oh, yeah. I can confirm that. But um, so the, what the one thing they do know that can help prevent the stomach flipping is to go in and tack it. Um, and kind of what we do is there's a couple different ways you can make your surgical incisions but every way leads to making an incision through the muscle layer of the stomach but not going into the actual stomach where all the content set at um and then also a partial incision through the muscle in the body wall sewing them together and causing we call it a bloody kiss and just letting them adhere together and, and kind of grow together mm-hmm. um, and because that stomach is stuck to the body wall not, not to interrupt you but this is like this is like union it's like union workforce. It is exactly five oh oh, and ding, ding, ding. Everybody's checking out. I mean, come <laughs> um, So, do you? When is it okay to do that preemptively? Does it affect their breeding? Like, no, it won't have any effect on breeding. Um, my preference is to do it once the dog is fully grown. Um, that way, you know it's not going to move or shift. And you're you're going to be. It's going to be perfectly placed with how you wanted it to be placed so a one and a half year old or two-year-old dog something like that you're totally comfortable just preemptively call a vet i'd like oh, to yeah. get and and what do you call it yep um there's like i said there's a couple ways to go about it um what i like to encourage people is just have an honest conversation with the vet to see which way they prefer to do it um because whatever way they're most comfortable comfortable with is how you're going to get your best results out mm-hmm. of it um so so, so should since my doctor yesterday thought that I was overweight, should I call him back and find out about stomach tack? Like, you think I'm at risk for bloating? I don't know about stomach that. Stomach twisting. I should know. find out I what he's you're... comfortable with. <laughs> and that's where you're going to get your best results. <laughs> okay. All right. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah. And so, really, that when you're looking at um, – It's okay to laugh at me, Matt. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just trying to laugh so loud that I blow this microphone out. <laughs> Um, and really like that's the big things that I like to look at is um, joint prevention talk about food talk about heartworm prevention and flea and tick prevention mention GDVs and you know looking at getting these stomachs tacked um, the caveat and egg, before I get too far too much further away from it um, typically when we're looking at going through this tacking surgery looking at 10 to 14 days depending on who you talk up to sometimes 7 days on skin um, to heal, but I like to play the safe game um, with these. And I like to prefer the dog to have at minimum two weeks, idealistically three to four weeks off of any kind of heavy work, mm-hmm. um, just to make sure that working in the field and going through the, the just the rigmarole of training, um, but that's in, in surgical site internally with that stomach and the body wall doesn't fail uh, yep. and, and come apart. Yeah. So. I'm sure no dirty water and all that kind of yeah. Jazz. I mean, not it's not just incision, but yep. you want the muscle to heal as well. Yep, for exercise purposes. And when you're really when you're looking at you know a year to year and a half when you're doing this, where you're at in that stage of training, um, I mean, you think, man, I can't I can't miss a month. It's yeah, gonna, it a month missing a month of training at that age isn't going to matter one bit at all. Um, and if that one month of, of training matters, you've got bigger problem on, problems yeah. on you. You're doing it wrong. Um, and so, um, and a lot of times, like, once you pull those dogs that are going through the stress of training day in, day out, let them take that month off, 
they come back even better. And so, yeah. Um, and then I, th- I think that's it. Oh, um, especially if you're going to send dog off to um, a professional trainer um, or have big plans on running hunt testing and you're going to train yourself and, and breeding them in the future. I really, really, really encourage people at nine months at the earliest, nine to 12 months at the latest, you're not, not sending them in, but just doing some preliminary OFA type x-rays. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I've seen one too many um, people spend big money on a dog um, on training wise, you know, be 20 to $30,000 in the hole come in at two to three years old and the hips are trash. Mm. Um, where if we had seen that, you know, two to three years earlier, you know, it might have dialed back the training load. And the, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Are so, you, are you very involved in the hunt trials and the HRC stuff like that? Or like you personally, do you see dogs that, uh, do you see a lot of dogs that get put on those field trials and stuff like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so like we have a ton of those clients that come in. Um, I think, I can't remember how many states we have that come in and see us for all of our OFAs and breeding stuff. Um, and mo- a lot of them, like I said, is hunt tests, you know, what, H- AKC, HRC type stuff. From a high it. level, what are some of the trends you see in the dog games these days? Um, this is personally, in my personal opinion, um, that the trend is we're breeding dogs a little bit too hot and too big to be fire breathers. Um, and it's causing some line manners just because um, – Everybody wants to breed the quickest, fastest, craziest dogs together. Um, and what I like to encourage people is not just to find a really good dog um, that has a lot of titles and a great pedigree and good health clearances, um, but look at your personal dog and figure out what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and then find a, a breeding candidate that matches those strengths and weaknesses. This is precisely why Lindy and I made such wonderful children. <laughs> we got fire breather and laid back. I mean, it's like perfect combination. Talking about her, I forgot about your new nickname, Rip. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, and that, like I said, and that's just, and it. this may sound weird, but growing up in, North Arkansas, there's a lot of cattle, and so we looked at a lot of breeding mm. soundness type stuff, and mm-hmm. and and breed this to that. So you get a, a crazy heifer mm-hmm. that runs you off, up, up the walls every day, or mm-hmm. and those are the ones you want to sell and not breed because they're going to pass on the bad mm-hmm. genetics. And so if if you want a dog that's calm and collected at the line, uh, why would you want to breed two dogs that are absolutely crazy? Yeah, genetics just life? are not. There's no. <laughs> it's genetics. Yep. You can't you can't, can't cheat genetics. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah, and so, um, but yeah, I mean, at the on the training side of things, it's hard to say trends, um, just because when you're looking at, especially when I was just young, um, how the advancements in training have, have occurred and kind of taken place. There's mm-hmm. always changes going on. So, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, the big thing is, like I said, I think some dogs are getting a little bit too hot. Yeah. Oh man, are you uh, are you thinking about? Things other than waterfowl and dogs. Yeah, I was going to say let's oh, let's yeah. turn this let's turn the corner from the profession, let's, especially let's hobbies. Um, when was it? Was it last week or two weeks ago? When it was like 75, 80 degrees. Oh gosh, yeah, I, think no. it got, I think it was last week. 75. Yeah, I remember sitting in the duck woods, think like hearing an owl hoot right at daylight with oh, yeah. all the birds uh-huh. chirping. I was like, we were talking today after our hunt, and RT just stopped and he had this little glimmer, and he was like, 
I was like, was that a turkey gobble? And he was like, it sounded like it. It wasn't, but it was it was that reaction. The craziest thing talking about turkeys gobbling like in a turkey season that I've ever heard. Um, and I'll say it. I'll probably have some people get mad at me. Um, me and my cousin, it was eight years ago, because I remember it's had a picture from a limit of ducks we killed um, from that very morning pop-up yesterday. It was like 15 degrees. We were, on the, we were in the very back corners, deep as you can get in rainy break. And at four in the morning, next thing we know, we had a, a big turkey start gobbling about 100 yards away. Man. Wow. Uh, it was the craziest thing I've ever heard. Middle of dis- middle of January, cold <laughs> as all get out. He was sitting over the water just giving Hi, all heck. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, the yeah. other day when you were here, I gave you my favorite new Yelper, mm-hmm. uh, the Janus. What do you think about Janus? I like it. Um, I, I was tempted not to try have to you, bring that up, just so I can keep that secret tool in my back pocket this year. Have you... Well, I mean, you don't have to educate the turkeys. You can kill the ones that you call up. <laughs> That's with. right. I mean, you know, right. Right. <laughs> have you uh, have you watched enough episodes of Friends to appreciate the Friends reference? Oh yeah, I think I was in the, I was in the truck and I was from that day and um, I started messing with it. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is going to be a Friends reference. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent, absolutely. Yeah. Josh said we're going to name it what? And I said we're going to name it Janice. And he's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. He was like, "That's so dumb." <laughs> no, but uh, I, I, that honestly, fits, like, though. It, it, it gets it a reaction, does. dog. Mm-hmm. I, I like I it. I remember a day it, it, it got a very, very dude. There was a bird that Boozer killed this year, mm-hmm. and it bless his heart. If Boozer listens this long, he's going to deserve what he's about to hear. But he threw every call he had at that bird, and. It did not matter what Boozer said, that bird would not respond. Yeah. And I would yelp at that turkey, and he would, I mean, gobble and then gobble again. It was like it just, it was literally like Janice walked in the room, was like, oh my God. And everybody's like, oh, <laughs> collective groan. That's when I was like, I called Josh after that hunt. I was like, listen, it's a good thing. They were not judging Grand Nationals today because I'd have beat you. Yeah. <laughs> he started laughing. <laughs> I said, we, we're going to make this call. Yeah, that yeah. turkey gobbled and gobbled I, and gobbled. Man. I that really like wild. it, though. Um, I've always, whether it's duck calls, turkey calls, always struggled with controlling my air pressure and presentation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like with this call, whatever kind of voodoo y'all have put into it, that even with my struggles, I can really control this call very yeah, well. That's exactly the way I would describe it. And I told Josh that I've always struggled to get a clear front end on a note mm-hmm. and then and then to be able to control when it rolls over in rasp. And that's the first call that I've, number one, I've struggled to control that. But number two, I've never blown a combo cut very well. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always been a bat wing guy. And that call like has all that it's yep. it's got a clear front end for me it rolls over into rasp and like i feel like i've got control of it in a way mm-hmm. that i don't feel like i have control of other yelpers and uh yep anyways uh, well i think i'm gonna have to go dip into the <sighs> ziploc bag i haven't tried you one gotta, of the new ones this you year. gotta get whoa, it. whoa 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 <laughs> you gotta you gotta get one you haven't blown one yet not one of the not since i had a prototype but i've not okay not one blown. of the yellow ones that we had in the barn mm-hmm. yep. so the the story on these was right after josh came to work two or three years ago he came to the house for the golf scramble mm-hmm. and just hung out at the barn and i mean he made a coffee can full of just various things <laughs> and uh my son trip mm-hmm. and i were down there at the barn watching tv one saturday afternoon and 
he was talking about yelpers and i was like well there's some in that cabinet up there the the you know just the kitchen cabinet in the barn and he grabbed them all out and started messing with them and and so i just i was trying to help him call and so i just grabbed one mm-hmm. and i was you know talking through you know talking through mechanics with him a little bit and i was like man i pulled it out a couple times I was like trip this car right here sounds really good <laughs> they ended up hunting with it the next spring yeah that's anyways I so i had know. to i had to like call josh and go hey there was this one you made it was a blah blah, blah. Yep. i was like oh Gray was, latex was, on top yeah yeah he was like oh okay that's when the voodoo magic happens because Josh is just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And just like from memory. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I did such and such. It's like next thing you know, there's a couple hundred of them that are exactly the same as that. Yeah. It's like, geez. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, I mean, I've actually, um, back when Kevin was running Kevin Taylor Custom Calls, mm-hmm. and just out of, I guess, out of his back kitchen, mm-hmm. um, he had his sweet Caroline that just transitioned yeah. into one of y'all's three reed bat wings. That's the KT one now. I love it. I, me too. That is a great such a good call. finishing call. Yep. Um, but that Janice in combination with um, that that specific just mm-hmm. real light low low volume pop call. Mm-hmm. It, it's gonna be a, a deadly combination. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just envisioning you in the woods, like the guys on stage, where they're throwing one in, taking it out, Kiki, and then you know they're cutting hard, and then they're gonna fight and purr with it. You're just in there with a Swiss Army knife, just t- you know tossing them in and out of your golf pouch. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, what do you have on tap for this spring? You got any? Yeah, where are you taking Janice? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Kind of all my big goals I had for turkey hunting in general, I, I was able to kind of check the box on last year. Um, so I think I'm just, and I traveled a lot and got my tail in whipped a lot. Um, I kind of think I'm just going to keep it close that means to the house doing it this right. year. If turkeys went in some, it means you're doing mm-hmm. it right. Yeah. Well, you're going to be getting whooped too much, though, if you accomplished all of your big turkey yeah. hunting goals. I mean, we kind of glossed over <laughs> What were those goals? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, like the vast majority of turkey hunters doing the cool thing, um, I switched from my 12-gauge to 20-gauge because okay. it was lighter and got tired of getting my shoulder blown off every time yeah. I, I pulled the trigger. And so, I don't um, think it's so much a cool thing as much as it is a practical yep. deal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that so, through all that transition, pole. I've ended up with my 20-gauge I hunt with, a little 410, and then um, my grandpa, when he passed away in October of 2020, I ended up with his old um remington sportsman's 48 oh cool um 16 gauge huh and so and we had always talked last couple years we'd always talked about um kind of going up to his family land in nebraska Mm. that they still had access to and getting him his first turkey and everything and um never happened so i said well i'm gonna kill a turkey with all of my sub gauge shotguns and kill one with with his shotgun oh that's cool yep and so i was able to um I mean, it was rock and rolling. The first week was slow. That second week, I found a little pocket of them, and it was shooting fish in a barrel with that 20 gauge and that 410. <laughs> I mean, five or six toms in that little pocket, and just got to pick out which one I wanted mm-hmm. to shoot every day. Um, and then the roughness occurred. Um, missed two turkeys in Tennessee, one, mm. two in Mississippi, and took it down to the wire on the last day and shot one that last day with his, his 16 gauge. Mm. So, in yep. Mississippi? Mm hmm. That's cool. Yep. Um, believe it or not, um, my boss may not, Dr. Payne and Dr. Reddy may not like hearing this, but I was actually on call that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, like, and it's a, so complete 
explanation of the gun. It's a semi-automatic Sportsman's 48 Remington 16 gauge with a uh, um, modified barrel on it. So it's okay. like 20 yard gun tops, even yeah. shooting some of this, you know, high end TSS type mm-hmm. stuff, just because it just, it's wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was on call that weekend, um, knew I had to keep kind of close to the office and close to the truck and and all of it. And I had, had one little spot that I knew was an on-call weekend kind of spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so my wife, Emily, um, she's not a big deer hunter. She likes duck hunting, but it's just too cold for her, so she doesn't go anymore with me. But she uh, she doesn't like going every day, but she likes turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hey, you want to go on a walkabout this afternoon? It's a Saturday afternoon. Um, we went down there, and it's in a bottom um, with a hill over top of it. We were glassing across of it, and I saw – a hen kind of um, just out there dusting, doing afternoon type stuff, just kind of loafing. Um, so I tried to get her position where she can see that hen down with through binoculars, kind of dusting. And we jostled back and forth for a couple minutes. And so I was like, well, eventually, like, hey, well, give me the binoculars back. I'll make sure she's still down there. She handed it to me. I look up, and next thing I know, just this big old redhead periscopes up from behind a brush pile, like, hey, here I am. Um, so I'm like, so I'll, of course, I'm like, oh crap and we're there's no cover in front of us mm-hmm. somehow he doesn't see two big people it's sitting on the set of side of a field in the wrong place meaning like 15 yards off the tree line mm. um and so we drop for the drop down we crawl around get set up and nothing that that afternoon um but kind of knew where they like to roost in this area how they like to work it um but i was convinced that we just with how the only way to get in and out of the spot was the only place that they could have disappeared to. Mm-hmm. So we would have bumped them out of there leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, being on call plays into this story. Um, had some calls that, that night. Um, kind of manage them over the phone through the evening. And one of the, guy, one of the, the guys calls me at like 3.15, 3.30 in the morning saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. I'm like, mm, sounds normal. But, I, I, but he woke me up. Um, and it, when I say woke me up, he woke me up, talked to him and it was a thunderstorm throwing tornadoes, blowing 30 miles an hour, Mm. which made me even less encouraged to go in there (laughs) and kill this bird. Um, and so, but Emily, she's like, no, it's the last day you'll regret not going. So she pushes me out of the house and I, I I know she's awesome. Isn't she? Um, I couldn't ask for a better one. Um, especially how much my crap she puts up with <laughs> but um anyways ease in there gets it up on the side of this field and it is dead there's not a crow making a call there's not a songbird there's not a rabbit in the field or a mm. mouse moving kind of steel yeah and about 45 minutes after daylight there he is i mean he hits once and when he hit once about every 15 seconds he hit again Dang. um so he did that for about four or five minutes. I mean, just burning the house down. Finally, you can t- you can hear him pitch out of the tree, and more of it. He really just kind of pitched out to where he could f- like fold his wings and drop through clear area, mm-hmm. or hop a limb and then drop off it or something. Mm-hmm. And um, gets on the ground. I can hear him kind of spitting and drumming up up to kind of the, the little hill from me. Mm-hmm. Get him excited. Um, and he starts hammering again. Um, and I've actually got, it's very, very, very amateur video. Um, <laughs> I think I, from the time he's on the ground, the time I killed him, he gobbled 37 times. Wow. Oh, it was 
unbelievable. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and he just eased down the, the edge of this little field looking for that hen he was with that day before that got blown off from that storm, I guess. Uh-huh. I mean, he was at 20 steps. Mm-mm-mm. And eventually I'm going to go quit being lazy and put the video together that I did, did for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and when you talk about hysterical laughing and being excited, like uh, the people You're I've shown up. the video <laughs> – make fun of me with yeah. how I sound. Um, it's not just a little cackle and, and giggle. It's uncontrollable laughter. And so... Um, That's the best. Yeah. Rob pointed that out one time about... Every time. He was, like, he was like, he was like, do you ever notice that you just laugh every time after... I was like, no, I didn't. And it, I mean, I'm the same way. Like, it just comes out of you. It just... <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That might have to be like the next, like, real inspiration. Just combination. A montage of Spencer's laughs. Yes. Cackles. Spencer cackles. That's funny. But yeah, but just with how, like I said, I got my tail end whipped out of state quite a bit last year, but did pretty good around the house. And um, I just kind of want to keep it close to the house this year. Heard keep that. it local. There you go. Yep. Well, Nothing good. wrong with that. No, not at all. Good. Mississippi is a good state to keep it close to the house. Oh yeah, it definitely is. You get a whole month to hunt before we get to hunt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now you do, yeah, you do get it full. I know yeah, you're going to have now. an influx of oozers. I feel like yeah. Now the the draw system helped a little bit last year, but every every person that drew still went to the same areas. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was not much different. So, but yeah, y'all got much much lined up for it. Um. Man, we've got a I've got a Florida hunt for trip lined up in February for the mm-hmm. youth hunt, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, got a few other spots uh, lined up throughout the year, but man, not a ton. A couple, just a couple things penciled in, but uh, I don't know. Kind of be honest, I'm kind of discouraged by the April 15th start date up here. I think it's yeah. probably good for our turkeys, but. Um, I don't know. I don't really like waiting that long. Yeah. I mean, just to be honest, I yeah. Dang it, I know <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a buzz. I still want to you know? go. I guess I'll just have yeah. to do like some scouting when I normally yeah. be hunting or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean it, it'll or be I'll all just right. Be, I, you know, you know, we've been doing that. I'm gonna see whatever bit. kind of turkey boots you wear and just follow <laughs> your footprints around. Mississippi mud. You'll the, get real confused. I've got the, four different pairs. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna wear two different pairs at the same time. <laughs> turkey track counties, on the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> the five counties on the Mississippi River in Tennessee have had this delayed start for a couple of years now, and mm-hmm. I do think it's good. I mean, I, I feel like our population's rebounded a little bit, and mm-hmm. so it's positive. And it, it's probably good to do that, you know, statewide. I'm, yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but I kind of wish Mississippi would do it. Honestly, um, <laughs> I was in Alabama when they pushed their season back, mm-hmm. um, and it stunk losing that, you know, week mm-hmm. or two. But I with what the trends we're seeing there and the trend I'm seeing in Mississippi now compared to when I was in vet school, I I think it's kind of needed. What I'm worried about Mississippi opening so early and then the surrounding States opening so late, it seems like anecdotally, it's going to put extra pressure on the Mississippis and Alabama's that open so early Mm -hmm. because I mean, there's just so much time. Yeah. Reality is from right here, it's not world class hunting in Holly Springs, Mississippi, but mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 45 minutes to a gate yeah. and can hunt before work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, give me a month to do that. That's just kind of, yeah, I'm not going to do that this year. One, because I'm not good enough turkey killer. 
I'm no Kevin Taylor. But, but I mean, I don't need to have a month head start to focus on those mm-hmm. public land turkeys. Like, that's just not – that's not good for the turkeys. It ain't yeah. good for me. <laughs> well, and like I said, we're – even just these last couple of years between pressure and flooding, mm-hmm. um, the, just the two seasons I've been there, you've, I've seen a big decline um, and issues going on. And then a very drastic decline between when I was in vet school um, mm-hmm. and coming back here, living mm-hmm. here now. Mm-hmm. So I'll be interested to see what they do over the next couple of years. Well, hopefully they'll continue to, you know, yeah, get something. The trend is proactive. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. It is. And, yeah. and regardless of whether or not the actual – numbers are improving which i i think they are i hope i hope we have reached the bottom and like we're coming back Mm -hmm. up Mm -hmm. to your point the word proactive is good because what i have observed is there's a lot of people actively engaged in trying to be a part of the solution whether whether it is the solution or not i mean there's people trapping there's people paying attention to their um to you know poults and to you know when they mow and just kind of all the things and i that's cool, man. That's mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's something that has changed in the last five to eight years. You know, it, mm-hmm. that didn't used to be the case, and mm-hmm. so that's a that's a positive thing. Yeah, so. makes me makes me happy seeing it. <laughs> it it <laughs> really does. It does me too. I mean, I wish I had could start hunting earlier, but it does make <laughs> me happy. What do you call <sighs> it? Hunting early? You and Tripper gonna be one of the first people in the U.S. Yeah. What's that? What's that date? Like February twenty third, twenty twenty fifth. Yeah. But yeah, I mean. Um. Yeah, that's that's cool. But I mean, think about it. It's six <laughs> weeks after that, seven weeks after that, before I can hunt for myself, mm-hmm. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. It is. That's a whole time. turkey season <laughs> in a whole bunch of states mm-hmm. plus another turkey season. I mean, give you a little time to get some well, work done. If you're in Arkansas, <laughs> that's actually three turkey seasons worth. Yeah, that is yeah, true. exactly. I mean, same for Kentucky and Missouri, and I mean, oh yeah. well, but. I'll stop complaining. I'm just glad we get to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I am too. Mm-hmm. You're right. I, Keith Allen has been saying all duck season, we get to duck hunt. And it's like my favorite new phrase because it's, it kind of, it really does, like you just said about turkey hunt, I'm just glad we get to. It's like, we're, we're always consumed with, did we kill a limit or the quality of the hunt or the this and that. And it's like. We, it's really good for us to just take a deep breath and go, man, you know what? This is the coolest thing that we get to mm-hmm. take a break from, you know, we're not having to do this to feed our family. Mm-hmm. Like we get to go hunting because just part of how the good Lord's made the, the world for us. And that's, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it definitely is. Even if we have to wait till April 15th. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, uh, thank you for, uh, for driving up and hanging out with us. And yeah, uh, it's been fun. been a blast. We, we love having you stop through the shop. I don't know how this ends up being on your way between Arkansas and Oxford, but thanks for uh, making it on p- your yeah, way. Yeah, pit stopping on your way. <laughs> it's, it's a good pit stop for some coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee's always free. <laughs> so, well, good deal. Well, man, uh, best of luck to you and Emily and your practice and Dr. Payne. And, um, man, we we uh, glad to see you just progressing in the world of – uh, working dogs and it was really cool to see uh mossy oak pick up your your uh talk the other i don't know what to oh, call yeah. it but your your uh your coaching tips about the cold weather and yep um i, I guess it's going to make me sound like an old guy but i'm i'm proud of you and it's really cool to see your career progressing and uh <laughs> you're doing good things and so keep up the good work well thank you sir thank you 
Right. Yeah, but if anybody needs anything, um, well, if it's having your vet at home shoot some prelims and then sending them to us to get you know information or just questions about duck dogs or just your pet in general, whether if it's a duck dog or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, don't hesitate to give us a call. Like I said, I, my big thing that got me into wanting to be a veterinarian is better education with people. So I'm always down, um, you know, to, to, to help. It may take me a couple of days just because I'm kind of ADHD and kind of get lost in the sauce sometimes with, with trying to manage everything, <laughs> especially in the middle of duck season or middle of turkey season. Mm, um, yeah. But um, like I said, just call the clinic. It's Animal Clinic of Oxford. They're in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, you know, talk. You know, ask for me. Ask for Doctor Payne. Um, Doctor Fields and Doctor Redding are there also. They're both they're both phenomenal vets. We've got a really 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 good team that we're blessed with there um, for both vets and our support staff there. We've we've got some really 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 good people. Awesome. So, awesome. Yep. Good. Well. We appreciate everybody stopping by and listening in. This has been another episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast. Good job, buddy. Yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. That was a good outro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right. We'll catch you on the next one.